Hello, this is Tika Lowe of Public Intellectuals. Today I'm quite excited. Our guest is Dr. Carl L. Hart. He is an American psychologist and neuroscientist. He is a professor of psychology at Columbia University. Hart is known for his research in drug abuse and drug addiction. Hart is one of the first tenured African-American professors of science at Columbia University. And today we're going to be speaking with Dr. Hart regarding his latest book, Drug Use for Grownups, Chasing Liberty in the Land of Fear. Thank you so much for, for agreeing to, to speak with me because I was like, oh, this book You're was quite... so good. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It really means a lot. Yeah, well, I have to say, Dr. Hart, when the when I read High Price, A Neuroscientist's Journey of Self-Discovery, I didn't really think that you could outdo that book, but I, I found myself citing that book and quoting that book often. Um, kind of, um, you know, a lot of the, the facts that you talked about in regards to drugs were in that book. Um, but this book was even better, like, you know, um, you know, drug use for grownups, chasing liberty in the land of fear. It's just amazing. It, it really made me think about my own life. So why did you write that book? <laughs> why did you write this book? Uh, I wrote it because I got tired of being treated like a child. And I didn't want, um, I, I, I didn't want to leave this place, earth, and, um, have people continue to believe these lies. And then later my children found out that, uh, you know, I knew about the lies and I continue to perpetuate them. And so um, that's the main reason I wrote it. I just didn't want my children to uh, think that I participated in some nonsense, like the one we've been participating in, in terms of what we tell people about drugs, how we teach about drugs and how we legislate drugs. I'm just like, okay, I have to say, we, you know, it's, it's funny because the, the, my black friends that, that read this book, <laughs> one of the things that we all kind of talked about was um, the, the New Jack City, um, your New Jack City reference in the book. And I've always kind of found hip hop a little bit moralistic, kind of puritanical. <laughs> And then when we find out that New Jack City was written by a white guy, and I'm like saying like that, that was something we all just found out yesterday after reading your book. No. <laughs> I mean, do, what do you think about that? My perspective in regards to like, I mean, you know, urban culture, hip hop, that it, 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 people kind of view them as bad boys. But in a way, it was always kind of like, don't use drugs. And this will happen to you if you're a bad person because <laughs> you use drugs. So what do, you, what do you think yeah. about that? Yeah, no, it, it's a very interesting thing. Uh, uh, you know, full disclosure, when I was coming up, I was a DJ and, and I did shows with people like Run DMC and those kind of things. So I thought I was going to be in that game. And so I, I was, uh, so I'm a part of that community, that community that kind of started this all. And so I, I, of course, I, those were my heroes. I wanted to be those guys. And, and you know, in the 80s, uh, particularly the late 80s, the early 90s, uh, when you hip hop started to, started to grow in terms of its pop appeal. And then you see people like 
Run DMC or Public Enemy, a number of groups, um, you know, uh, people can do horrible things like be on stage, say some awful things, but as long as you get off stage and you say, stay off drug kids, stay off drug kids, and now you're okay. It's like, what? I mean, you could just abuse women, you could do all kinds of things, but if you say stay off drugs, okay, that's a good person, he's good. And it's like, that's some dumb shit. And I didn't even realize the contradictions and the hypocrisy um, until later in life, of course. But And so I'm trying to get people to understand that type of hypocrisy and how silly it is for you to have uh, done some horrible things. It's, it's like Bill Cosby almost. I mean, the, the irony is, is that Bill Cosby used to do in the 1970s, for example, he used to do drug, uh, anti-drug commercials, particularly about something like speed. He'd say like speed kills. Meanwhile, this cat is using drugs to like um, knock people out in order to have sex with them. Uh, and so it's like, wow, that's what we've done with this drug issue where you can be a horrible person, but as long as you do an anti-drug bit, you, all is forgiven. And, and that's what we've done. No, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's 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 kind of wild because, you know, I, I'm I'm just kind of like thinking about, you know, um, that time period. I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you, but I'm, I'm from Los Angeles and like in the 90s. And I was just kind of like, well, at least that the hip hop in California was slightly different than in <laughs> on the East Coast. I have to say, moving to New York, I see I see why you guys were a little bit more political. Um, but it was, it's, it was still, I, I, I wanted to go to your James Baldwin quote. <laughs> yeah. You said, if you want to get to the heart of the dope problem, legalize it, prohibit it, prohibit, prohibit, prohibit pro, pro, prohibition is a law an operation that can only be used against the poor. And this is like in the eighties when he said this. So yeah. I'll just say something once I kind of figured out what was going on, not exactly in regards to what you said in regards to drugs being, we'll get into that later, but in regards to the laws, like I had issues with the law. Um, I was really angry at a lot of like black politicians and black preachers and things like that. But then I realized they probably really didn't know. So what, what are your thoughts? Are you angry at people? Are you angry? I know you said you were angry at yourself, but do you, do we, do you, do we forgive those people that were part of that? I remember it was an Ebony magazine issue. It was like, we need to put all the drug dealers in jail. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Um, so let's go back to the Baldwin quote. When Baldwin said that quote, he was asked, uh, you know, what if you had a message to the black politician, what would you say to the black politician? And he said what, what the quote that you read in response to that question. So he was talking to the black politician and he was speaking specifically about the crack powder law. Um, the, crack, the crack powder law had been passed a few months earlier and Baldwin was lamenting the fact that that law was passed. He was also aware of the fact that 16 of the 20 congressional black caucus members voted in favor of passing that law. So uh, they were major proponents. And then later on, of course, people uh, were upset about that law. That's the law that punished crack cocaine violations a hundred times more 
uh, severely, then it punished uh, powder cocaine violations. And so uh, the law that we were all upset about later, but Baldwin saw that this law could only be used against the poor. And sure enough, it was used against poor and black people. Um, and now fast forward until 1988, two years later, um, they came back around to extend that law uh, to make it uh, be applicable to people who simply possess the drugs because the 86 law was uh, targeted towards those people who sold the drugs. 86, they said, okay, we're going to extend, I mean, 88, they said, okay, we're going to extend it to people who simply possess it. Now, uh, the number of congressional Black caucus members who voted for that law, it uh, was reduced. Uh, there was no longer like 16. It was only like seven who voted for it. And then, so when you say, are you upset with those people like uh, the Black politicians? It's like, yeah, it's a lot of them who stood fast believing this nonsense, mm -hmm. or even when the evidence was brought to them, they still didn't change their position. You know, like the uh, longtime uh, Harlem um, uh, representative, uh, Charlie Rangel, uh, he was one of those people who stood fast and would not change his position on this law or uh, other drug laws. And Charlie Rangel had a lot of power in, in Congress. He, he's the one who kind of convinced Ronald Reagan to increase the pressure uh, on drug dealers and that sort of thing. Um, but Charlie Rango, I met with uh, him and his people uh, uh, many years after this, trying to still convince them that um, uh, this is the problem. Uh, drug laws and drug enfor enforcement of drug laws were uh, selectively targeting us. Um, uh, tried to meet with these people. I have met with those people, tried to educate them, try to help them to understand what's going on. But uh, frankly, many of them are just not interested. They are just not interested um, because the whole drug story and crack specifically, that story is just too, too appealing to, to folks. Uh, you know, it's like when you say, wait, look, people, crack wasn't doing all this harm. It was other things like lack of employment, lack of education, all these things that we can invest in community and the people. Um, they don't want to hear it because it's not as sexy as them saying something like, well, I saw my cousin and she was on crack and she did this. It's like, it might be true that your cousin was having these problems and your cousin used crack and that sort of thing. But I assure you, crack is not the problem and crack is not the only thing that's going on in that person's life. There are bigger things that are at play, but a uh, few people are really interested in that. Meanwhile, uh, it allows the police to come in your community and just uh, run uh, ramshack, uh, uh, do whatever they please. And, they don't, and people are not interested in seeing these connections. So like this whole defund the police movement today, we've been saying that about the drug war. The drug war is the police. I mean, and, and we just increased their budgets, but we've been saying, we got to stop funding the drug war. And you stop, fund the, stop funding the drug war, you will stop um, these police coming in your community, harassing uh, your young men and people um, uh, and making sure that they have a record or that they're on record 
um, uh, those issues won't, uh, they won't be much of a problem if you stop this whole drug war and invest in the community, invest in people. That is so true. And I think that that's, um, you know, I, I think about um, Mississippi and they passed, a, recently they passed a marijuana law, but their Supreme Court rejected it. And a young man, I can't remember his name, he was sentenced to life. He had over a little, over an ounce of marijuana uh, or cannabis, what they call it. Um, but this is, Mississippi is a place where since they've been keeping track of opioids has been, you know, in the top 10 of prescribing um, of opioids and they're not jailing those people. So it's, um, I, I'm, I might be being ignorant in regards to like <laughs> my full understanding because I know you're the expert, but I think about just how they use the drug war to arrest black people, black men specifically, um, um, and, and re-enslave them. And, and um, you know, it literally is just like, like slavery. And it's, uh, it's like everything you said in your book. So is this book, is this about drugs? or blackness or racism or all three? Yeah, so, you know, uh, my expertise are in drugs. And so I have to, uh, whatever I'm speaking about, I have to do it through a, a drug frame. Uh, but it's really about our humanity and um, showing people uh, how um, uh, our humanity is being um, abridged and being truncated uh, uh, as a result of our drug laws. And then so I have to help people to understand that our drug laws are unfair and our drug laws violate um, the thing that uh, we say makes us American, this thing called the Declaration of Independence. The, the, the Declaration of Independence for me is only important uh, because it says that we have the right to live our life as we see fit, as long as we don't uh, prevent other people from doing the same. So if that's the case, uh, like, for example, you can put in your body what you choose to put in your body as long as you're not messing with anybody else. That's the sort of first promise of the country. And uh, we are saying that, uh, yeah, yeah, you have that promise except with drugs. Uh, and it's like, wait, the declaration doesn't say that. And where did this come from? And then when you understand where uh, this sort of except with drugs come from, it comes from a place of uh, subjugation uh, by the white power structure of uh, black people and other people who have been marginalized. So it's, if that's the case, we need to uh, interrogate that, investigate that and find out like, uh, wait, okay, is this justified? And you, when you start to realize that, wait, what they said about drugs, all the drug effects, I mean, my expertise, are simply not true. There are exaggerations. And then you start to see that uh, they're using these drug laws to go at the people who are powerless, people who are poor, people who look like me. Uh, then you have to start raising the alarm uh, because they're using these drug laws to um, take away my humanity and take away the humanity of people who look like me. And that's not right. So when you say, what is this, this book about? Well, the book is really about our humanity. And I'm trying to show people that if you look out 
look at the, at the other people's rights. Uh, that's what it means to be an American. And you will have a better life yourself. You will protect against them infringing on your rights. Uh, and so I'm trying to get people to stand up on behalf of the people who have been marginalized, who've been victimized, who have been vilified. Uh, um, so the book is really about uh, standing up on behalf of others so you can ensure that they have their complete humanity um, so yours does not get uh, uh, infringed upon. Yes, I you know, I have to say, you, 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 you talked about your incident with your son in this book. And I had to say, I, I had to like, so many times in this book, I had to put the book down because I could like totally understand what you were saying. And I was like, I, I, like, I don't know. If, I mean, I know everyone could enjoy the book, but I think if you're a, a Black person of a, of a certain age, you're really going to enjoy it and understand it. It's going to really make you, that's going to make you sad in some ways. And um, I, you know, I seriously feel sometimes like in, in the New York area, like, like, like I've gone back in time, in times, in the way that we're treated and dehumanized. I feel like it's so, you know, you know, so like, you know, again, sorry about what, you know, you know, that incident with your son, like it, it was, it was so, you want to go into that a little bit? Or I just, I mean, when you talk about like racism is more deadly than drugs and, and things like that, I mean, you want to go into that a little bit? And I, I know there's data to back that up, but do you want to talk about that data or? Uh, yeah, we can do that. Um... You know, the incident that you're talking about is an incident that I described uh, with my youngest kid. And um, uh, we've been a part of a community, a school community for more than 20 years. And then uh, my kid, uh, 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 my youngest kid uh, would consistently get stopped by um, the security personnel um, and uh, we try and meet with the school officials and say, yo, this is not right. He's being selectively singled out. And, um, and some of the other black boys are too. Uh, and, uh, you know, the last straw was when he ran, he runs, he ran track for this place. And, um, uh, they went back to change their, their school clothes after having competed on behalf of the school. And, you know, they basically were told to get the fuck off campus after they quickly had to get their clothes. And uh, then the kid, our kid was made to go hang out, hang out in this sort of white community and wait until I got there. And um, that was that was just it. And again, trying to meet with school officials in which we did. Um, but they didn't seem to see anything. Uh, they didn't see this as an urgent problem. Um, you know, you pay a lot of money to be in a, a certain uh, community. And then, but it, for me, it spoke to how um, uh, uh, black boys in that place, uh, humanity was not seen the same as everybody else's. Uh, it's, or else you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. Or when it happened, you just quickly make sure that doesn't happen again, but that's not the case. Um, and, and, and so you can see how black boys get, can develop this sort of hypervigilance, almost, almost paranoid sort of disposition because they, uh, they know that they're getting ready to be messed with by some authorities. And, 
And so it shapes who they are and it shapes how they interact with the world uh, in this sort of hypervigilant way. And as people, we can't be always hypervigilant because that will eventually kill you from with things like cardiovascular illnesses, uh, other sort of uh, uh, issues like um, strokes, uh, um, hypertension, all of these kind of things. And so uh, I tried to point out that, um, you know, here we are looking for drugs. And when we have all of these issues going on in our society that are, that's killing us a lot more quickly and a lot more efficiently so. I mean, we can think about George Floyd. Um, and what the thing that killed George Floyd was not drugs, and mm-hmm. we know he had we know he had drugs on board. In his, um, but yet, yeah, I think that's a nice microcosm, a nice example of what I'm talking about. We want to, the authorities want to blame drugs for George Floyd's death when we all saw the knee on his neck for more than nine minutes and you talking about drugs, are you kidding? But that's what we're doing in this society when it comes to drugs. You see this obvious problem, that's not drugs. But if the person took drugs, oh, drugs, let's just focus on drugs, let's forget about everything. That's what, that's what the authorities were trying to tell us to do with George Floyd. And that's what had been happening, uh, happens in our society on a regular. The George Floyd situation just got caught on videotape and we all just happened to be at home during the pandemic. And so we could express our, uh, we all could watch it, number one, and then have this sort of simultaneous expression of outrage around the world. Now, but the George Floyd thing, that is happening today to this very day as we speak, there are people, police, who are using that excuse and getting off. And so, um, so I wrote the book before George Floyd was act- had actually happened. And I described a number of other cases like George Floyd, Laquan McDonald, the 16 year old kid or 16 or 17 year old kid in Chicago who got shot 16 times. Um, and they, they, he had PCP in his system and they tried to blame the PCP until we saw the video. Uh, the guy, Terrence, um, uh, a clutcher uh, out of uh, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. He got shot. Uh, it was on tape, and uh, his his hands were up. His back was to, to the police, and she shot him. Her name was Betty Joe Shelby. Shot him dead. Uh, and she got off because he had PCP in the system. So this is happening around the country on a regular. Uh, we're blaming drugs um, and um, uh, and allowing, uh, for example, um, uh, officer, police officers to, to get away with essentially uh, is is murder. I think about the incident that you talked about. Remember the the the, the person that had. Um, they said he had eaten the face and was doing the bath salts. And when you told me, well, not told me, <laughs> when I read that it was not even true, like there was nothing. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing how powerful that essentially lie is. Yeah. Are you there? Yeah, I am there. Yes. Okay. 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 Sorry. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, they call that the Miami Cannibal incident, where 
um, uh, this guy ate off half the face of a homeless guy in Miami. And then the, the officer, one of the officers at the scene early, he was actually the, in, in charge uh, of the union. Uh, he floated this issue around about bath salts. A guy had bath salts and that's what made him act so violently. Of course, it wasn't true when they did the toxicology. The only thing that was in the guy's system was uh, some cannabis in such small amount that uh, it was clear the person hadn't smoked uh, in at least a day. Uh, so really, uh, drugs were probably not involved in this case. Uh, we don't know why the guy did what he did, um, but uh, that did not stop the media from reporting that it was bath salts. Uh, even when we found out the truth, some media outlets like CBA. that it was bath salts, even though bath salts were not involved in this case. And so I, I tried to show to the reader how these drug stories and narratives, uh, they have a life of their own and they continue even when we have the information to correct the nonsense. Yes, I mean, I wanna know, you know, it's like, so this book was so good. I was just like, I have so many things I wanna ask you, but we, we, we have to. <laughs> up like in a little bit but I have two more questions I would you know I, I want to kind of say like how do we get black people to stop being afraid of drugs but then I realized the better question is how do we stop white hegemony from using drugs to terrorize black people people of color marginalized people like what do you think one of the solutions is um you, you know, so I've been writing these books, these popular books. I've been writing op-eds to try to help educate the public uh, about these things. And so um, the solution is, I just hope people read the books and the op-eds and that sort of thing, because we're not going to get it from the mainstream media. Uh, you know, like one of the one of the groups that we've kind of relied on to help us uh, see hypocrisy and see this nonsense, uh, our artists, we have relied on them. Uh, but our artists, in, in this case, they've abdicated responsibility here, in part because drugs uh, allowed them to be lazy. Uh, so when we think about exactly. We think about comedians and those people, they, they do, they, they make jokes about drugs that are just simply not true and they're lazy. And, and so if, uh, we think about people who uh, write uh, films, uh, TV shows, uh, when you want to vilify somebody, all you have to do is say, oh, they smoke crack. Oh, they did heroin or some drug that uh, people uh, have decided that they're going to vilify, even though uh, it doesn't comport with reality. Um, um, the lazy sort of artist uh, can still use that. And then when we think about like the media and those people, the media, uh, and we think about uh, physicians, we think about all those kind of people who we kind of rely on for truth, if you will, they are all benefiting here. Uh, you know, like I tried to point out like uh, in the, my, the chapter on the brain disease and how we use the brain babble nonsense to fool people. I tried to point out like one of the reasons that other scientists, for example, haven't been more vocal is that they don't really have to suffer the consequences of our current approach. So I have boys uh, and, and you know, they're black boys. And so they have to negotiate this society. Um, when we have our drug laws as they are enforced, 
my kids are more likely to be subjected to some enforcement of those drug laws that are that's racist, selective, unfair. Um, whereas my colleagues' kids, they they're not. And and I have to when I think I have to when I go home to see old friends or family, uh, my friends are the like they're not there. They're in jail, dead, and those kind of things because in part of these drug laws. And so I have to face the carnage that has resulted from our approach. My colleagues, uh, they simply benefit because they get research grant money. Um, physicians get people in their sort of treatment services. They get money there. Um, and so um, the incentives are not in place for the usual people uh, who've been kind of truth tellers in our society to correct this misinformation. Um, uh, we think about, uh, we know there are a number of people in the media, like middle-class white writers, for example, um, they use their drugs, but they, for example, may use different drugs like the psychedelics. The psychedelics have been enjoying a, a rehabilitation of, of their reputation uh, uh, because in part, middle-class right, white writers like those drugs, but you won't see that happen with something like a uh, crack or something like uh, heroin or the drugs that they're not using. Um, in fact, they will continue to vilify those drugs uh, in part because it takes the pressure off of their drugs. Uh, and so I tried to help people to understand that uh, we don't, we all don't have the same skin in the game. And the people who are shaping the, the opinions in our society uh, don't necessarily have your interests at heart. No, they they do not. I mean, like I, you know, I, I even like one of the things that just shocked me was the the alcohol poisoning, the government policy. Let's let's put like something in it that can kind of kill you, so that that way we can stop people from using the 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 alcohol or the Percocet or the, I'm like, this is ridiculous, man. <laughs> Like you're hurting people because you're saying you because you say they're hurting themselves. Wow. Yeah, that that's exactly right. Uh, that's exactly right. You know, it's like we would rather have you uh, die uh, than to have you use this drug. It's like, really? Uh, is that where we're at? Yeah, that's where we're at. And so uh, we did. You 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 mentioned the alcohol issue. We we did this with alcohol. The alcohol uh, during prohibition, the government decided to put meth uh, methane um, in, in in alcohol in the uh, in, uh, industrial industrial alcohol, so people couldn't produce uh, drinkable alcohol, or or if they did, um, um, eventually if they drank too much of that stuff, it would maim you. In some cases, killed you, and and the government knew that, uh, um, and this is well documented. Uh, and so I made I drew analogy of how what we're doing with pills like Percocet. Percocet is a is a pain relieving pill. It contains uh, a large dose of acetaminophen and a small dose of oxycodone, which is the opioid. Many people don't know that the acetaminophen, if you take, I don't know, 10 of these pills on consecutive days, you can shut down your liver, liver because of the acetaminophen. Acetaminophen, of course, is Tylenol. Um, 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 you don't want to take a lot of that stuff uh, on a regular basis because it can injure your liver. 
the amount of oxycodone and Percocet is so low, you don't really have to worry about the oxycodone. You have to worry about the acetaminophen because it's, it comes in something like 325 milligrams per pill versus five milligrams of oxycodone in there. Uh, and so if you take 10 or so of these pills, 10, 20 on a consecutive days, on consecutive days, you run the risk of shutting down your liver. We don't talk about that when we're talking about the so-called opioid crisis. You have a problem here with the acetaminophen, not the opioid, but the opioid will be blamed in this case. And that's exactly it. If, if it was all legal, and people were like, whoa, not everything. Yeah, if it was all legal, then we could inform people and people wouldn't have to die. It's this puritanical nonsense that's killing people. And I mean, that is why I'm so glad you wrote this book, you wrote the other book, because you know, you're from Columbia, you have a PhD. It's like, look, he knows. <laughs> I even loved it when you like were, were um dissected the studies. I was like, oh my God, it's amazing. So with that, I, I, do you have anything else that you would like to say? No, I just hope people read the book and don't read what people say because uh, there are some people, particularly the middle-class writers, um, their interests are not the same as yours. Uh, read the book and think for yourself. Uh, and uh, people need to understand, as you pointed out, I've been studying drugs for more than 30 years and I've got millions of dollars in terms of grant funding to do this. And uh, place, at a place like Columbia, we give these drugs to research participants every day. And if these drugs were so dangerous, why would the government allow us to do this every day? And um, also for them to think about the fact that there are many researchers around the country doing this, but they're silent on this issue. The question is, why are they silent? Because they are getting paid uh, from this sort of hysteria. The more the hysteria, the more money we get in our research uh, to so-called study this problem. Uh, meanwhile, we're not being truthful uh, or completely, we're not fully uh, disclosing to the public. Uh, and, and people need to understand that the folks who are out, out here, uh, who are some of our scientists, are, don't necessarily have your interests, your best interests at heart. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's like, you know, I'm going to tell people to read this book. Like, don't just kind of like, because I mean, I know a lot of times that with this book, they were just like, oh, and he was talking about all these drugs and, you know, then he used them. And it was, I'm like, read the book, please, please read. <laughs> um, and I'm going to summarize for people so people can like understand, like, yeah, it, you know, goes beyond that. But also too, it's, it just talks about, you know, blackness, history, science. It's, it's just an all around amazing book. So thank you so much, Dr. Hart, for speaking with us today. Um, and I, I look forward to, you know, at, at some point seeing you talk in person since COVID's over. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 look, I'm looking yeah. forward to getting back out in, in, yeah. in person because I can't do the virtual thing anymore. <laughs> exactly. But thank you so much. And uh, you have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.